Hi, and welcome to the Hamilton Wealth Partners, podcast number 66 for March 2022, off our insight number 107. I'm Will Hamilton. Look, uh, as many of our clients know, um, what we have done is we've adjusted our asset allocation um, in, in about the middle of February. Um, we took a neutral stance to most of the listed markets. So for the first time, we are neutral listed markets. We believe this needs a, a level of ex- explanation, which we have to sent a note out to our clients. Um, this rationale is separate from the conflict in, in Ukraine. I'm going to talk about that later. But the speed of the current cycle post the COVID sell-off in 2020, really, it's been unique. So look back, the fast pace of the recovery has been staggering. So too will be the overall length of the cycle as we roll forward. So we're going to ensure we stay on track to maximise returns and balance risk, and that's what we always look at. The GFC or post the GFC cycle was a long, slow cycle, longer and slower than normal. It started in early 2009 when global GDP for that year was just 0.1 of a percent, and it rotated on until just the beginning of 2020, as we knew. So the trigger for the GFC was the call in of subprime loans, collateralized debt obligations, and you saw a sharp market correction. However, what was most striking about the decade that followed the GFC was this this low productivity gains. So global GDP averaged about 3.8%, yet the the US averaging around 2.7 at that stage, Europe at around 2.1. So China was driving global GDP as it was coming out at around 6.5%. Now, two years after the COVID-induced recession, Um, The IMF is seeing global GDP moderating in 2022 to 4.4%, down from 5.9% in 2021. And remember, it contracted negative 3.3% in 2020. So considered against the GFC global GDP numbers, these really are remarkable figures. So what's most striking is that it's happening when we've now entered late mid-cycle. So the key issue is the policy settings for the early stage of the recovery. So central banks are taking longer to start raising interest rates. Policy tightening is later into the cycle than is normally the case. Central banks are aiming to get policy settings to a neutral setting, so they're waiting for full employment rather than tightening ahead of inflation. So an impact of this approach is that they're therefore behind the curve, and that's what you're hearing written about in the papers. So why are we at this stage of the cycle? So the first key reason is the COVID-19 pandemic itself and the shake-up it's caused. So it's triggered uncertainty, market disruption. The second is the response from this, the COVID-19 by governments and central banks. And they responded with massive loosening of fiscal and monetary policy. And that challenged traditional thinking around responding to market disruption. And in many cases, it wrong-footed investors. <clears throat> so in terms of the outlook for 2022, it, we continue to see it being bumpy. So that means strong discipline in asset allocation and diversification is going to be rewarded. The reason for our neutral stance for risk assets, though, is the balance between risk and return. And we've often mentioned that we always focus on risk when we assess asset allocation. So to put this simply, the risk-reward trade-off has brought us to a neutral position on listed markets. Looking forward... So whilst the discussion on inflation is making headlines, the topic isn't new. I think this is what has to be remembered. Inflation has been with us for four or five months. So Capital Economics recently noted, and to quote them, we're at the point where the pressure on central banks, though, to act is at its greatest. And I think that's the important thing. 
So we expect inflation to remain elevated for now, especially in the United States, where it will hold at around 7% for the next few months. The second half of 2022 calendar year will likely see inflation decelerating towards 4%. And that's more from a runoff of um, numbers. So it's going to, going to be, be coming back towards that 4% level. Cash rates in Australia, they're factoring in 1% for the year end 2022 with 1.75% for the third quarter 2023. But remember, they're presently 0.1%. In the United States, cash rates predictions are anywhere between 2 and 2.5% 2 for 2023. And remember, they're presently 0.025 or a quarter of a percent. So we've got this very, very sad uh, conflict in Ukraine and capital economics see this conflict making a 50 basis point rate hike in the US in March even less likely. We, they think that it's gonna, the, the, what you will see is um, rates raise four times this year. Uh, looking further ahead, the balance of risks could shift back again later in the year if the threat to econ economic activity in Europe fades and US economic markets recover. The speculation about war in the Ukraine, unfortunately, is fact. So um, the, the past, look, we need to put geopolitical conflicts um, in, into context and they've provided, they've provided a buying opportunity. And we believe this again will be the case, but the key economic determinants need to be looked at. So a, mark, a market response to a sharp sell-off followed by a strong bounce, it's not abnormal, uh, we, but we do like to act on facts. So our job as a wealth manager is to avoid traps. We believe performance over the next 12 months will be maximised by more through avoiding traps more than anything else. We see one of these traps as index investing. So what is certain is volatility and with index funds, you're gonna be fully exposed to that volatility. One thing we constantly measure is the volatility of our portfolios against both benchmarks and competitors. And we're very proud of the lower volatility that we can produce. Over the next 12 months, we believe that conviction management in listed markets is going to deliver strongly over index management. Inflation and interest rate fears add to volatility, and we see both um, and over and under reactions from markets as a result of this. So these markets are not about buying the indexes and hoping they rise. This is about buying companies that will see strong earnings growth and more important, importantly, avoiding the losers. We've heightened awareness of our fund manager selection and their performance, and we're constantly monitoring this. It does amuse us to see long short managers come out of the woodwork and start to contact us, especially as markets have fallen, so their shorts have come in. But we stick with our view that in the medium to long term, there's only one winner with these strategies, and that is the fund manager. With respect to the Ukrainian conflict, Russian markets are the big losers and a complete meltdown. Now, last Thursday, the MOEX index in Moscow, it briefly fell 45%. It closed down at 33%. The ruble fell to a record low against the US dollar. Even oil and gas majors plummeted. Uh, Gazprom fell 37%, Luke Oil 34%. The most volatile was the London listing of Russian stock Sparebank through a global depository receipt, or GDR as they're known, and that was down 72% at one stage. As a footnote, these stocks have since rebounded, but this is a key reason why some fund managers we use will not invest in Russia. They look at sovereign risk and say, we just won't touch it. Capital economics, though, estimate that Russian GDP will fall by 1% based on the effect of sanctions, and their policy rate, or their central bank interest rate, will increase from 9.5% to 
Now, just remember, I was talking about, you know, in Australia, one and 1. 1. 1.75%. 1. So it's a big difference when you've got a 12 from 9.5 to 12. So back to the core things we're looking at, and that's inflation and interest rates. And the uncertain outlook there is why we made the asset allocation changes that we did. Um, and that's important. We don't believe the conflict will make central banks delay raising interest rates, and our reasons are, you know, oil due to the conflict could well go to 120, 140 a barrel, but you will see gas c consumption or uh, demand actually fall as um, probably in, in the second quarter of uh, 2022, uh, calendar year, as we go into the European spring. Wheat prices are uh, increasing by 25% due to the effect of the sanctions. Um, Inflation, uh, about 1% higher than under previous energy forecasts in the near term, so leaving it around 6% in Q2 rather than 5%. And developed markets, inflation could still be 4% by calendar year end. So, yeah, as I just mentioned before, ending the year at 4%. Policymakers are going to be weighed up. They're going to be weighing the upside risk to inflation against the downside risk to activity. So the conflict's not going to derail plans for policy tightening this year, but the events have tipped the balance erring on the side of caution. So importantly on sentiment and confidence, capital economics says more adverse effect on business confidence and GDP growth in the major advanced economies and support our instinct that while inflation tends to rise following such crises, central banks typically set policy somewhere looser than they would otherwise have done. So those who are predicting even higher inflation, however, we highlight the four factors that capital economics point to, which are highly relevant in our local market. One, falling inflation. So it's likely to fall over the course of 2022 as energy, energy and goods inflation eases and immediate inflationary effects of the pan pandemic fade. Two, the easing supply constraints. So as econ economies reopen, su supply constraints are gonna ease, especially in 2023. Thirdly, low rates. So neutral real interest rates there remain low and therefore won't take much to cause policy settings to have an impact. And finally, evolving monetary conditions. So how monetary conditions are going to affect the real economy? It's a real question. Heuristic Investment Services, our asset allocation consultant, argues that the cash rates may have factored in too much for the effect in the real economy to have an, inf an, an impact. So economically, there's robust ongoing growth out of a very strong recovery. And I think that's what pe people must remember. So what does all this mean? For the remainder of 2022, we think Australian equities should do well on a relative basis due to index composition, but they have lagged and in some cases uh, quite substantially developed markets. So for instance, Australian equities were up 9.61% to the end of January 2022 on a rolling 12 months basis, whereas developed markets, MSCIX Australia were up 18.58%. So about half, you know, Australian equities, you know, there was about 50% underperformance and hedge were up 23%. So that's 18.58 hedge and 27.3% unhedged. But you know what, what I was looking at was um, you know, in Aussie dollar terms. So emerging markets, look, historically, they do do better in uh, times like we are economically. Um, they've lagged. Um, they're only up 1.03% um, for the 12 months, the end of January. So a developed market asset a developed market equities allocation has been reduced through a decrease though in US equities. So the US is approximately 53% of the MSCI global index. Therefore, an underweight in the US has a significant impact on this. So we've monitored fund managers to ensure they're overweight Europe and the UK. REITs, 
or AREITs in particular, were being downgraded based on a relative value and low real yields. And core asset allocation holdings such as infrastructure should be central in a portfolio. So what does all of this mean? As we roll forward, our focus is to stay on track, maximise returns, balance risk, and ensure portfolios are diversified with a strong discipline and asset allocation. I'm Will Hamilton. If you've got any queries, please do not hesitate to contact us on Melbourne 9275 8888 or via our website www.hamiltonwealth.com.au. Have a great day.